Hi, I'm Dr. Rebecca May, and this is Arcana Advances. Follow along as we explore all renal research happenings at Arcana Laboratories. Hello, welcome to Arcana Advances, where we discuss exciting new research in renal pathology performed by our own physicians. I'm Dr. Rebecca May, and today we have Dr. Tiffany Kaza, who will be discussing her recent article in Kidney International titled, Neural Cell Adhesion Molecule 1 is a Novel Autoantigen in Membranous Lupus Nephritis. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Kaza. Thank you. So first, can you tell us, give us a little background on membranous nephropathy so we're all on the same page? Sure. And uh, NCAM1 that we're going to talk about today, or neural cell adhesion molecule 1, is more commonly associated with membranous lupus nephritis rather than primary membranous sclerulopathy, although I advocate getting away from primary membranous as multiple new autoantigens have been identified. Uh, But membranous sclerulopathy is uh, caused by either antibodies directed toward podocyte antigens or planted antigens. Um, it's been proposed circulating immune complexes can play a role too, but further data is required to really get at that. But membranous sclerulopathy is one of the leading causes of nephrotic syndrome um, in both patients without a history of autoimmune disease as well as uh, those with lupus. So patients may have a membranous nephropathy that's PLA2R, and they may have a membranous nephropathy with an unknown antigen. Right. And like you said, there are other associations like malignancy, we know with NL1, which you've published on, and autoimmune disease. We often talk about membranous lupus nephritis. So there's a lot to membranous, right? <laughs> it's not yeah. as simple as some people some people think um, think originally. So a lot of diseases are now seen as a pattern uh, Mm -hmm. by histopathology rather than by a single disease itself. And membranous nephropathy now being associated with multiple autoantigens and other etiologies um, is now really considered a pattern of disease rather than, you know, single diagnosis in its own. And we see this with uh, focal and segmental glomerular sclerosis, with membranoproliferative glomerulonephritis. Uh, these are patterns of disease that we're just learning more about over time, and hopefully we'll get to more precise and useful diagnoses yeah. over time. <laughs> yeah, they do really represent a whole spectrum, yeah. right? So um, this paper, you look at membranous lupus nephritis, and I know lupus is a, a big interest of yours clinically and research-wise as well. Yeah, I love to hate lupus and <laughs> try to learn more about it. So can you tell us about membranous lupus nephritis? How many, how many patients with lupus have, have membranous lupus nephritis? So about 50% of lupus patients will develop kidney disease Mm -hmm. or nephritis. So there's a really high disease burden of kidney disease in this population. And lupus is a whole spectrum where you can just have some of Zangel immune complexes um, in class 1 or class 2 lupus nephritis versus proliferative lesions that are quite destructive like endocapillary hypercellularity and crescents in class 3 or 4 lupus nephritis. And then class 5 lupus nephritis is membranous lupus nephritis. It makes up about 20% and it can be seen in addition to proliferative lesions. Yeah, or by itself, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's something the clinicians think about if they have a sudden, you know, increase in proteinuria in a lupus patient, right? Exactly. So what, um, at the time that you, you did this study, what did we know about membranous lupus nephritis antigens? Um, so really only one other one has been described, and that's a exostosin one exostosin 2 complex, which is a glycosyl transferase. I always see both components, and their need, they both need each other to function, and this was described by Dr. Sethi's group at the Mayo Clinic about a year before we identified on CAM1. And the EXT positive um, membranous, what percentage of membranous lupus nephritis does that represent? About a quarter to a third, depending okay. on a study. So it's the most common autoantigen we know of thus far, but honestly, we have a long way to go as far as understanding of membranous lupus nephritis. And that leaves a lot of patients where we don't know what the antigen is, correct? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so you tried to figure out what other antigens are associated with membranous lupus nephritis, and how do you do antigen discovery for that? So we eluded immune complexes from frozen biopsy tissue um, using immunoprecipitation with protein G. And we also did laser capture microdissection to enrich for glomerular proteins. And when we saw the same protein by both techniques, it's more believable. <laughs> and yeah. so one of them that stood out in membranous lupus nephritis patients was this NCAM1. And so we went to follow that further. And what is NCAM1? So it's neural cell adhesion molecule 1. It's expressed in immune cells, including lymphocytes and dendritic cells, but also in neurons um, as well as podocytes. There's multiple functions of NCAM1, and it's been associated with multiple disease states. Um, NCAM1 protein is increased in the CSF after seizures in epileptic patients. Mm. It's been seen in the reactive penundrum um, with, you know, astrocytes post-stroke, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's involved in the central nervous system and also in the immune system. It's also known as CD56, mm -hmm. um, which is used more commonly in immunology <laughs> rather than NCAM1. And so once you found NCAM1, then you went and looked at a large cohort of membranous lupus nephritis cases, right? And I I think it was 212 membranous lupus nephritis, which is a huge number of cases. And you stained those for the various antigens. And what did you find? So we found that NCAM1 was approximately 7% of mm -hmm. all um, membranous lupus nephritis cases. And it really wasn't represented much at all in patients without a history of autoimmune disease. There were two patients without membranous lupus nephritis, but both of them had autoimmune disease because we screened a series of non-membranous lupus nephritis cases that had a membranous glomerulopathy, um, of which were negative for uh, PLA2R and CHSD7A um, antigens in parallel to membranous lupus nephritis, and it doesn't have much representation there. Although there has been further studies by other groups, there's been a study by uh, Bobart et al. And they identified, I think it was 1% to 2% of primary membranous was NCAM1 positive. Oh, okay. 
And in the cases um, that you saw, most of them were from lupus patients, but you said it's not exclusively lupus, right? Other autoimmune diseases as well. Yeah. So um, what were the other patients classified? Was it uh, RA or? The patients had a positive um, ANA. And so are thought to have associated autoimmune disease, but they didn't carry a diagnosis of lupus per se. Oh, okay. So just other, somewhere on the autoimmune spectrum. um, Yeah, that's great. Yeah, okay. And ultimately, membranous lupus nephritis could be the first um, presenting etiology of membranous. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this criteria by the SLE collaborating clinics or SLIC criteria for which having membranous glomerulopathy gives you eight of 10 points for a diagnosis of lupus. And so if you have another etiology like skin rash, for example, you could be diagnosed with lupus. Nephritis is one of the main manifestations. And So in patients with a positive ANA and a new diagnosis of lupus, you have to have a high suspicion that it could be driven by the autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And um, what histologic findings did you see in the NCAM positive cases? Was there anything that distinguished them from a typical like PLA2R membranous? So membranous lupus nephritis um, compared to idiopathic membranous has some features that are different. One is that you express different immune reactants when idiopathic membranous tends to just have IgG complement and light chains expressed in the immune deposits when you could have what we call full house staining or at least one of the other immune reactants such as IgG, IgM, and C1Q in the setting of uh, membranous lupus nephritis. In addition, they frequently have mesangial expansion and immune deposits within the mesangium. Um, you can have subendothelial deposits, and a subset of NCAM patients, a quarter of the patients, had associated proliferative lesions. Hmm. Um, and that's been also seen in exostosin associated membranous lupus nephritis, too. Is there any distinguishing characteristics between EXT and NCAM? I honestly can't tell them apart yeah. histologically. However, the natural course of EXT associated membranous has been studied by um, two groups at least two that I know of, um, one at the Mayo Clinic um, by Dr. Sethi's group and the other by Dr. Ronco's group in France. And they have found that EXT-associated membranous lupus nephritis has a better prognosis. You follow these patients years out and they don't go on to develop end-stage kidney disease. A lot of them don't flare. As far as for NCAM1-associated membranous, our data right now is quite limited for long-term follow-up, so I don't know if they have a good clinical course or not at this point. Were you able to detect NCAM by serology? Uh, We were. So we looked at patient serum reaction against NCAM1 recombinant protein and found that under non-reducing conditions, so likely the native protein, we had reactivity against NCAM1. Um, This could show that it could be a conformational epitope because under reducing conditions, you break disulfide bonds. And so we expressed NCAM also in a cell line, Mm -hmm. so human embryonic kidney cells, 
to overexpress on CAM1 on a plasmid, and we saw seroreactivity as well. And so that's an indirect aminofluorescence assay, which we use indirect aminofluorescence assays to evaluate for PLE2R positive membraneness mm-hmm. and THSD7A positive membraneness. And so there's the hope that this could, you know, turn into a clinical assay in the future. Yeah, where patients could avoid another kidney biopsy and maybe use this as a screening tool to see if their membranus has flared again, right? That's the thinking. Yeah, it's a little controversial of whether to do repeat kidney biopsies in patients that have known lupus nephritis. Mm-hmm. Um, for membranous lupus nephritis, um, I don't think that there's a whole lot of data there, but for proliferative lupus nephritis, we evaluate by the NIH Activity and Chronicity Index, for which you can have up to 24 points of proliferative lesions, and even two out of those 24 points puts you at increased risk and suggests longer immunosuppressive therapy. Um, So for membranous lupus nephritis, Patients get repeat biopsies primarily to make sure there's no proliferative lesions, but if we know the natural course of the disease, let's say, has a good prognosis like EXT, maybe they could spare a biopsy in the future, but time will tell if that's the case. Yeah, but that makes sense. You wouldn't want to miss those active lesions in a, in a lupus patient, so they might need repeat biopsies just for that purpose. Yeah. In this paper, you described a secondary membranous antigen, NCHEM1, which is enriched in membranous lupus nephritis cases or autoimmunity-associated membranous, and you can detect it in the serum, which is exciting um, for (laughs) for clinical use, possibly. So where do you hope to go next with this work on NCAM? Um, so I think long-term follow-up is important here to see what is the course of NCAM1-associated membranous. Um, as far as mechanisms of disease, uh, we still have a lot to go in the setting of all lupus nephritis into understanding. Um, so primarily development of a serologic assay to monitor disease I think is probably the most important at this time. Mm-hmm. And... Another factor is that there is an increased rate of neuropsychiatric manifestations of lupus in NCAM1-positive patients, and we found that 40% in our cohort had neuropsychiatric disease, which is defined as either seizures, psychosis, or cerebritis in the Mm -hmm. setting of lupus, and this is a very dangerous manifestation, um, for lupus patients, but NCAM1 being expressed within the nervous system as well as podocytes. And at this point, we don't know for sure that it's a primary podocyte antigen, but could be. Mm -hmm. It would be important to know if this is a true association or not, especially as nephritis could be the first manifestation of lupus. These patients may need to be monitored more closely. And so... Further data is needed to see if this is a tight association or not. Our study included 20 NCAM1 mm-hmm. positive patients, um, but once there's a larger cohort, we can see is there an increased rate of neuropsychiatric disease, and then that's something that really needs to be looked out for. Well, thank you, Dr. Kaza, for doing this exciting research and coming on the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Arcana Labs for more exciting kidney news and research. You can follow me on Twitter at Rebecca May RP. And Dr. Kaza, uh, you have a great Twitter feed. So where can people find you on Twitter? Um, I'm at Tiff underscore Kaza. 
And yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for listening. This podcast and more can be found in the iTunes store. For more information and educational programming like this, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or visit us on the web at arcanalabs.com.